ask you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. Our sermon text this evening is Mark 5, verses 21 to 43. Mark chapter 5, verses 21 to 43. This is God's holy and perfect and inspired word. Let's give our attention to it as it's read. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear. Only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, Little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement, and he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And they told, he, he told them to give her something to eat. Let's pray for God's blessing on his word. Oh Lord, we pray now that you would um, tear the veil that is often covering our hearts, uh, the veil of unbelief, Lord. I pray that the authority, the, the power of your word would do that. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would address us through the words of Christ this evening. And Lord, enable this, this reality that we would not be afraid, but simply believe. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm sure if you have lived any days as a Christian, 
you have asked yourself, why does God do things the way that He does? I struggled with this text this week and was puzzled over the fact that Jesus, not only in this text, but in the stories even beforehand, is willing to cause people to walk through circumstances that create in them great, great fear. And paradoxically, the only way that they can actually believe and truly trust in Him is by them having the right kind of fear, by them having the right kind of estimation of who He is and what His character is. Uh, This text will help us answer the very uh, broad and, and common question that some people stay away from Christianity over. Why does God allow evil and suffering in the world? Why does He do the things that He does? Why does He allow what He does in the world? To put it very simply in the words of our text, why does Jesus slow down to heal this woman with the issue of blood and allow the precious and loved daughter of Jairus, to die. How does that help Jairus' faith? How does that actually create faith and enable him not to fear and not to be afraid? We sing this, the hymn over and over again, Amazing Grace, and it says in one of the verses, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear." Why is it that our hearts actually have to be taught to fear in order that grace can also relieve our fears. Before we dive into the the nuts and bolts of this particular text, I want to remind you of some of the stories that are uh, immediately uh, uh, preceding this text from Mark 5, verses 21 and following. You remember that Jesus takes up the teaching of the parables in uh, the beginning of chapter 4, and he teaches everything in parables, the, the author of this gospel will tell us. Mark says everything that he taught to them was in parables. And then there's a kind of parabolic story at the end of chapter 4 where uh, Mark wants to then drive home this uh, teaching where Jesus welcomes his, his disciples into a boat and tells them to cross the sea. And they uh, face what uh, even uh, very, very established and confident fishermen think that they'll never have to face. They uh, anticipate the boat drowning to the very bottom of the sea, and they wake up the teacher, and they say, what is wrong with you? Why don't you care about us? Sort of an accusation, and Jesus stills the storm, and then amazingly it says, and then they started to tremble. He says in verse 40, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with a great fear and said to to one another, Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And then again, Jesus goes into a place with a man that has not been able to be restrained. He's demon-possessed. He is often damaging, hurting himself, destroying himself in different ways. And Jesus shows authority over the demons that have possessed this man. And you anticipate that the people of this region will come and praise Jesus for the spectacular event of healing this man who has been a demoniac for years. But instead, when they come and they find Jesus, remember the demons have been cast into these pigs and they go and they drown themselves. Um, 
This is what the text tells us, verse 15. They came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man and the one who had the legion sitting there clothed and in their right mind, and they were afraid. See, Christ will uh, cause those in his presence to fear greatly because of the great authority of who he is, and he's helping us answer the question this evening, Lord, why do you allow things to happen in my life that I never would have wanted or anticipated? Are you actually good in the way that you act toward us? Uh, The woman, we're going to find her falling down and trembling before Jesus, and Jesus having to speak these words of comfort to Jairus, do not fear, only believe. Why does God work in the way he does in our world? And then what implications does this have for us truly putting our confidence and our trust in him. Well, I want us to see first in our passage this evening that Christ creates two crises. Christ creates two crises. Uh, I enjoyed that uh, alliteration a little bit too much as I was writing this sermon. One of the things that they teach you in seminaries try to come up with crafty little things like that. Christ creates two crises. Um, Mark introduces these two women in the story. Uh, one is the daughter of a very respectable authority in the synagogue. He's called the ruler of the synagogue. And if you're to weigh out which of these two women should be uh, privileged to receive healing, you start to lean toward this first character that is introduced in the story. Uh, There's a bunch of reasons. I'll just list three why if you're a person in the crowd watching Jesus make his way uh, through this crowd as he's crossed the sea, why you would want to prefer, in some sense, Jairus the ruler of the synagogue. First, he's a very respectable man. He's an authority. He uh, would likely teach from uh, the Old Testament. He likely helped regulate who could come into the temple and who uh, was excluded. And uh, he was someone that, was, that everybody would look up to. Uh, you might compare if, uh, if there was a, a pastor in a, a city that everybody knew and respected uh, and looked up to, this is what Jairus would be like. And imagine if that pastor's daughter uh, came ill with a very, very bad kind of cancer or something that everybody was uh, stricken with grief over. So first, Jairus is the ruler of the synagogue. But second, he, as he uh, cries out and, and uh, lays out before Jesus his request, he says specifically, my little daughter is at the point of death. As I say, there's two characters introduced. One, as we're going to see, who's had an issue of blood for 12 years, and there's this little, little girl who is struck with this tragic sickness. And it seems like the urgency of this little person who has not even crossed the threshold into adulthood, who's not seen the trajectory of whole life, should captivate the attention of Jesus with urgency that he should pursue healing this daughter of Jairus. But third... Uh, I'm going to call this uh, Jairus had dibs on Jesus. I don't mean to be disrespectful, but this is the kind of uh, preference that you anticipate uh, Jairus having in this situation. Jairus came first in the story, and he asked Jesus for rescue. There's only one hope for both women in this story, that Jesus would come and with his authority act on the behalf of the people who are crying out for him. And Jairus is the one who comes first and asks for rescue help. Uh, This is written into our nature, our sense of fairness, that uh, people who stand in line first should have access uh, first. 
I'm sure you experienced uh, wanting to call the front seat in your uh, vehicle. We had a large van, and everybody always desired the front seat, and whoever called it first got to ride in the front seat. There's a sense in which Jairus has come first. He's a respectable man. He's got a very, very uh, 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 critical situation with his little daughter, and he's crying out for help to Christ. Uh, The gospel of Luke will tell us that this is the only daughter of Jairus. My little daughter, my only daughter, is greatly ill. Come, touch her, and heal her from her disease. And verse 24 seems like it could be the conclusion of the story. It kind of tells us what we could expect for it to wrap up. Verse 24, and he went with him. You anticipate the, the need is great. The crowd wants Jesus to go and heal uh, Jairus's daughter, and you have some sense of a desire to just have Jesus go there and accomplish this healing, and surely there would be uh, an abundance of praise of God in uh, a sense that the kingdom of God is coming, and it's exciting that this has happened ex- exactly as you want it to happen in the story. But of course you know that that's not at all what happens in the story. There is a woman in the crowds who will be a very uh, disruptive woman in this story. Uh, the whole crowd is, a, is an obstacle for Jesus getting to Jairus's home, but there's this one woman uh, particularly that is singled out who has heard something about Jesus, and she, uh, with a very simple faith, reaches out, the text says, and touches his garment. The other gospels say that she touched the fringe of Jesus's garment, and she had in her mind the thought, if I can only touch his clothing... I will be free of my disease. Uh, The passage says that she's completely different than Jairus in every possible way. Jairus is respectable. Jairus would determine who would enter into God's holy assembly. This woman is unclean. She would not be allowed to enter to worship with God's people. Jairus is looked up to and someone who gave and gave and gave in the community This woman is someone who is used to being in need and in need and in need. It says she has spent all of her money on physicians. And she's pursued some kind of help over and over and over again. And the text tells us she didn't get any better but only grew worse. According to the law, Leviticus 15, if you're interested to read all the particulars, the whole book is about different kinds of uh, emissions of the body and how it caused, it to, caused the person to be made unclean. But according to the law, one thing is said about this woman. She should be excluded. She should be separated because she has uh, been unclean. And it related to worship also. Those who were unclean could not enter into the tabernacle and the things that they touched, couches and different uh, uh, clay pots and things like that were made unclean by their defilement. And the Lord says, thus you shall keep Israel separate from the uncleanness or the people who are unclean, lest they die by defiling my tabernacle that is in their so the whole trajectory of the story is headed one way. You, uh, if you're a person watching in the crowd, you're expecting Jesus to do something about this urgent case of this young daughter, of this respectable man, uh, to step in and heal this young daughter. 
but everything pivots and everything is slowed down by this woman who is in a very, very needy position. Well, second, I want us to see in our text that Christ calls us to believe. Christ calls us to believe. Uh, This broken, unclean woman has said to herself, if I just reach out my hand and touch his garment, I will be made clean. And I don't know if you've read this maybe too many times. Uh, I was trying to put myself in the, the uh, shoes of someone who had never re- read this story. Uh, it seems a little superstitious or strange, and the text doesn't explain, but it actually works. She reaches out her hand and touches Jesus' garment, and her whole body is restored. And again, I think in terms of the anticipations of the passage, we may think, well, that's wonderful This woman who had been pursuing actual healing of her body her whole life has finally had that aspect of her sickness restored. We can kind of move on in the story to Jairus' daughter. But Jesus is very intentional on what he's going to do next. He does not desire to merely heal this woman's issue of blood. Though she had sought healing over and over and over again over 12 years. Jesus does not merely want to heal her disease. Jesus turns and stops and asks, who touched me? It's likely that this woman feared nothing more than being called out in a crowd. She's used to being uh, known as the woman who's unclean, known as the one who kind of bears the shame of not fitting in, not being allowed to enter the temple. And Jesus pauses in a crowd and says, who touched me? And suddenly again, the crisis gets more serious for this woman. After the the flow of blood has been healed, she says in verse 33, the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him. She came in fear and in trembling and fell down before him. See, she wanted this kind of anonymous healing. She's seeing Jesus in the midst of a crowd. She wants this uh, flow of blood dealt with and to be released from the sickness, but Jesus is not interested in merely healing her body. He wants to know her. He wants to rescue her personally and deliver her eternally from her sin and her death. He wants to give her a new identity and rework her whole way of thinking about herself. You remember, if you're familiar with uh, the story uh, Les Miserables, there's a character who his whole life has been known and shamed because he's a thief. He was hungry. He stole some bread And throughout his life, he has a passport which determines who he is. He's no longer referred to as by name, but he is referred to by a number, 24601. And he encounters this person who completely transforms his life when he expects to be condemned and named for what he really is. Instead, the bishop does not call him to account for what he has done, but uh, suffers the consequences of Jean Valjean's crime. And this is what uh, at least the musical version sings in that moment. Jean Valjean sings these words, Why did I allow this man to touch my soul and teach me love? He treated me 
like any other. He gave me his trust, and he called me brother. Uh, Jesus is not interested in an anonymous healing. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. And in these moments, he wants to uh, cleanse and purify and make whole this woman in a comprehensive way. He wants her to trust him personally. Jean Bajan sings later, I had come to hate the world, the world that had always hated me. She had been uh, despised and rejected, and Jesus doesn't only want to restore her physically, he wants to create this whole new identity. And so notice what the text says about her. Verse 36, he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Uh, It's a beautiful and remarkable story of Jesus healing someone who in many ways should have been completely unworthy of his attention and his love. Uh, But what's very significant about the way that this interruption comes is I think we learn all the details about her, the fact that she'd been sick for 12 years, the fact that she had been waiting for a cure, uh, pursued many, many uh, different physicians and never been healed because the last words of verse 33 When she falls down trembling, she's gripped with fear. It says very beautifully, she told him the whole truth about herself. Again, Jesus doesn't want to leave her anonymously healed. He wants to know her personally, know her directly, and rescue her from the things that uh, are binding her eternally under the judgment of God. He wants to forgive her sins and give her this new identity as a daughter of God. God. And amazingly, that comes as she confesses and tells the whole truth about her. And again, if you're uh, thinking about this, it's a beautiful, remarkable demonstration of God's mercy. The only problem is that Jairus is under extreme time constraints. He has come to Jesus, and he desires his daughter to be healed. And the time is slipping away. And every single word that this woman who's been sick for 12 years speaks about the whole truth about herself is one moment that Jairus's daughter continues to slip toward death. You can imagine the blood pressure of this father just going off the charts as this woman is casting herself on the mercy of Jesus and telling the whole truth about herself. And there's these two, there's this very, very uh, vivid contrast as the one daughter is restored and cured and made whole, and her faith is said to have made her well, and she can go in peace. And she's been named as a daughter, verse 34. Notice the contrast, verse 35, of the second daughter. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any more? can imagine the response of Jairus in these moments. I'm a man of trusted authority in this community. I've served God my whole life. I determine who enters and who doesn't in the uh, tabernacle. It's possible that he knew this woman who has caused this disruption. Uh, We don't know that, but it's possible that he knew about her, or at least he knew that she should not have gained entrance, and he's thinking to himself, what is wrong with you, Jesus, that you have preferred this woman over my daughter? 
But Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. Jesus knows the whole way through the story where he anticipates this story going. He waited, very similar to the way that Lazarus has to wait until he dies in John 11. Jesus waits until this daughter of Jairus breathes her last and slips into death. Remember in the book of Revelation, John sees this remarkable uh, image of one like the Son of Man. There are many details you can read in Revelation verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 12 to 16 of this terrifying, amazing Lord of creation, Lord of heaven and earth who's been resurrected. And John, perceiving the glory of this resurrected Lord, uh, falls down before him and worships. And the response is, fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I have the keys of death and Hades. Jairus is thinking to himself, if you had just timed it better, if you'd just gotten there before my daughter had died, there was hope for my daughter still. And he's gripped with fear. Jesus has to tell him, don't be afraid, only believe. But he thought he knew how Jesus worked. He thought he knew the extent of Jesus' authority and ability to rescue his daughter from death. He thought he understood how Jesus had to do it, how he had to rescue his daughter. And this then addresses our hearts this evening because we are in Jairus' shoes precisely. See, you enter the Christian life without even knowing it maybe with a host of expectations. My marriage is going to go a certain way. My children will walk with the Lord and things will just gradually get better and better and maybe easier and easier as I walk through the Christian life. And then the Lord calls you to face something that makes no sense at all. And you wonder, Lord, why do you allow me to walk into what is terrifying, what is fearful, what I do not understand? Why do you work in this way? And Jesus says to us this evening, do not fear only believe. Jairus had it in his mind that there was only one hope for his daughter, that Jesus had to get there right before she slipped off into death. But Jesus was the one who had authority over death. Jesus was the one who would face death, who would step into death for us. And he wants Jairus to encounter that authority and see the saving nature of Christ, not in the way that Jairus was expecting, in a way that would unsettle him, in a way that would cause his heart, in some sense, to wonder, what are you doing, Lord? And yet, who would also then be able to respond in real faith? Well, I want us to see, third, that Christ transfers uncleanness and death onto himself. Christ transfers uncleanness and death onto himself. How can you trust the Lord this week when you face something that you think, this is not what you should have done in my life, Lord. I shouldn't have to walk through this kind of circumstance. I did not think this was the way 
that you worked. How can you trust the Lord when you walk into marriage difficulties that are unimaginable or children getting sick in different ways that you never thought you'd have to face? The answer in both of the cases of these women is that the rescue that Jesus brings comes through his physical touch. It's remarkable in the story that Jesus allows himself in this crowd. Jesus, the Son of God who knows all things, allows this woman to reach out and to touch him because, as we read in the book of Leviticus, everything that touched someone who had the issue of blood would also become unclean. And Jesus steps into that room where everyone is weeping and crying out and saying, there's no hope now for this young girl. And Jesus steps toward her, takes her hand, and pulls her up out of death. Uh, one of our um, story writers that we appreciate a lot, we've read the, the Jesus Storybook Bible, Silas Lloyd-Jones puts it this way. Honey, Jesus said, it's time to get up. And he reached down into death and gently brought this little girl back to life. And I love the last detail of the story. The only kind of physical problem that's left is hunger for this young person. She hasn't eaten now for a while. And Jesus says, give her something to eat. Give her something to eat. Well, how could Jesus touch the unclean woman without becoming unclean? How could Jesus touch this dead corpse and not be unclean as well? See, the uncleanness of the woman who had this issue of blood for 12 years, in some sense, had to transfer onto Christ. And the death of Jairus' daughter would be something that he would face for Jairus himself. Why does God allow evil and suffering in this world? Does he understand and does he actually act in line with his promises? Jesus bears the sickness and the uncleanness of this woman and takes on death himself, itself at a cross for us. Matthew 8, 17 says that as he went out casting out demons and healing diseases, it was to fulfill the prophecy from the book of Isaiah that said, surely he has borne our infirmities and he has carried our diseases. And Jesus does not come in his first coming to resolve every sickness and to remove ultimately death in this life but he does come to conquer them so that you can know for sure that he will act in line with his promises. See, the key for you to be released from your fears is for you to actually be able to face the things that you fear most, for the Lord to walk you right into something that seems so terrifying and then to tell you, I am with you, I have the keys over death. There is nothing that will be able to unsettle or unshake my committed saving love. Why did the disciples have to be led into the waters and be terrified as they considered the one who had authority over those waters? 
Why does Jesus unsettle this woman as she casts herself on the ground and has to tell the whole truth about herself? Why does Jairus have to be led into this situation that causes him to have great fear? So that they could actually see his true nature and his authority and know this is the kind of Savior who has power over what they are afraid of. The greatest thing that you fear, the thing that you think, if I lost this or if I have to face this, I would have no hope, is nothing against the authority and the power of Jesus. And so grace in your life over and over again will teach your heart to fear, and then the Lord will teach us through his grace to have our fears relieved. Uh, We're going to sing Jesus Strong and Kind as we close, and it says, Jesus said that if I fear, I should come to him. No one else can be my shield. I should come to him. The Lord desires exclusive focus and confidence in him. And the way that he has accomplished that is by sending his son to a cross to bear what we deserve, to teach our hearts to fear and also to relieve our fears. See, the fear underneath many or if not all of our fears is that God is distant and has left us to face our fears on our own, and he has shown you, he's certified to you that he will be faithful as you face your greatest fears by sending his son into the world to die for you, to bear the curse that you should have borne. And so when he commands you this evening, do not fear, only believe. He's not saying that in the abstract. He's not saying just grit your teeth and try harder to believe in him. He's given you good reasons. He said, I am committed to my covenant and my promise, and I will do everything necessary to accomplish your salvation. So cast yourself on the Savior who has the authority and the keys over death, and know that just as surely as he reached down into death and that day rescued and pulled up Jairus' daughter from death, he will one day reach down and announce the declaration of his resurrection for all people, and we will be raised again to newness of life. And truly that day, all of our fears will be swept away, and you will live in the presence of your Father and never have anything to fear as you worship him forever and ever. Let's close now in prayer. Lord God, we uh, pray for a simple, a true, and deep faith, Lord. We pray that as you call us, Lord, to face fears that we never anticipated, uh, that you would ask us to walk through, Lord. I pray that, that we would come into direct and personal knowledge of who you are, Lord. Thank you so much, Christ, for bearing our sicknesses, for carrying our diseases, Lord, and the curse that sin deserved on a cross for us, Lord. I pray that you would give us a supernatural faith, Lord, and enable us to testify to that faith, to people who are so overcome and overwhelmed with their fear, they have nowhere to go, Lord. Give us the joy of our salvation, and let that joy overflow as we announce this glorious salvation to people who do not know you yet, Lord. Would you please 
teach our hearts to fear, and then also relieve our fears. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand now and sing to our Savior who is strong and kind. Let's stand as we respond to the word. fears and your anxieties blesses you as you leave and calls you to put your trust in him. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance on you and give you his peace. Amen. Let's peace of God together.